Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. So, how do you construct a portfolio of high-quality companies from across the globe? Bearing in mind that there are 65,000 companies globally, how do you pick the cream of the crop? Today, we're going to help you create that global dividend portfolio. My guest says that different stocks behave differently at certain periods of time. So, what, given today's environment, could be those first principles in the hunt for companies with greater potential for dividend growth while also seeking out low volatility equity returns. Joining me today is DT, the dividend titan himself. Willie Kang is the man behind maybe the greatest educational site for investors. How are you, Willie? <laughs> Michelle, I think you missed, just give me too much credit. I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> It's those slides. I'm looking at the slides. They're amazing, Willie. Uh, you're going to talk to me about the 30-second balance test, sh- balance sheet test. I think it's really great um, that you we, we, you're open to discussing how real investors like you look through life liabilities, the difference between non-current, current liabilities, uh, total equity, what exactly are you looking for? How do you reduce risk when you build this global dividend portfolio? But I'm going to start with a very basic question, Willie. What so, do you consider a dividend, a global dividend stock portfolio? Yeah, so it's very interesting, Michelle, because a lot of times, because I mean, I've invested for the last 13 years and one thing is interesting is that a lot of investors whom I always talk to um, especially in Singapore what I've noticed is that many of them they tend to have their own rules of buying yeah. right so mostly they listen to what their family uh, their family friends or even their brokers tell them mm. and they always tell me hey really um, I only want to buy uh, Singapore banks or I just want to focus on one sector like wheat or I just want to have a target you know 5% yield and they realize that hey Um, I'm not really getting the returns which I want, all right? Mm-hmm. And really that's where the thing or the problem sort of lies because um, like what you mentioned just now, Michelle, different businesses, different stocks, they behave at certain um, different periods. And the thing about that, about investing is that, you know, we don't just want to focus on one sector or one business or one stock alone because at the end of the day, um, you want to build what you call a global diversified portfolio of many different stocks. And when you talk about diversification, um, the thing is, you know, it's a lot like, let's say you're starting a business selling umbrellas. When it rains, um, you will do good selling a lot of umbrellas who, you know, where people need it. But when it's, sh- when it's, you know, sunshine or when the weather is bright, no one wants to buy an umbrella and that's where you want to buy or sell ice cream. Mm. So whether it's rain or whether it shines, you know, you are always in business. And that's the same for the characteristics of a global dividend portfolio because um, different businesses, they tend to behave differently. Different mm. sectors, they also de- behave differently. Some might outperform in one period. Some might underperform in one period. But at the end of the day, when you have a global dividend portfolio, what happens is the outperformance from one sector or one business sort of cancels out the underperformance from another business or another sector alone. And that is really the quiet force which drives the performance of a dividend portfolio or global dividend portfolio. Does this mean like Peter Lynch, we have to own more than a thousand stocks? I mean, is this about owning more stocks? Yeah, a very good question here, Michelle. So many super investors, um, including Peter Lynch, he actually diversifies or he took diversification very seriously. Mm. So Peter Lynch is... Um, Um, he runs the Magellan Fund from Fidelity, um, mm. 
years back and he ran it for 13 years. So for people who are not very sure who Peter Lynch is, he actually grew um, the fund, the fund size from $18 million to $14 billion. Hmm. So during these 13 years where he actually grew the assets, he made close to 30% annual returns. And this was despite all the different crises he faced, right, during the 1980, 1987 and 1989. And the thing about Peter Lynch is this, he bought into the right businesses, you know, at the right price, but the thing is, he owned more than 1,000 stocks. So he was convinced about diversification. But we don't really have to um, invest like Peter Lynch where, oh, we have to buy more than 1,000 stocks. Mm. You know, we don't even have to actually buy more than 100 stocks. Because if you see according to research, and this has been published um, time and time again, and mm. this is not something which I have came out myself, <laughs> um, it has been written um, by Nobel Prize winning professors as well. And according to research and studies, it, it has shown that Buying, say, for example, 25 stocks in your portfolio reduces your portfolio risk as by as much as 80%. So mm. portfolio risk here uh, defines as how much the price moves or which source in your portfolio. So having this diversified, let's say, 25 stocks, it reduces the amount of whipsaw of these prices across your portfolio. So you don't get to see um, your portfolio in the green today or the next day into the red. So you don't really get to see that kind of uh, quote-unquote volatility in your, in your portfolio. And the thing is, as if, you did, if you dwell deeper into the research, um, as the number of stocks increase, say from, from 25 stocks to 100 stocks, the marginal benefit of this diversification starts to get reduced. Right. Say, for example, if mm. you increase the number of stocks from 25 to 100 stocks, your portfolio risk gets reduced by as much as 90%. So the jump of um, the reduction, sorry, the, like the jump, the, uh, the increase, increase in the reduction yeah, of risk correct. yeah, mm-hmm. is, is reduced. slightly less. Yeah. Exactly. And then from 100 to 400, it reduces by more than 95%. So there's already much of a huge div- uh, benefit there. So sticking to just 25 stocks is actually a sweet spot or a good starting point um, for any investors who want to get started investing. So we don't really have to um, uh, follow what Peter Lee says. You know, we, we, we can start from a little uh, small base from ourselves. Love it. I know that it's not just about looking at yield when you are building a global uh, dividend portfolio because there are many dimensions. You've just mentioned a very nuanced look at how many stocks, 25, uh, seems to reduce portfolio risk by 80%, you say. But what sort of yields can you realistically expect when you, you, you're talking about this global dividend portfolio? What are you expecting? So this, that's a very good question here. So when we move globally, you know, out of Singapore, we have to understand different countries, um, the way their tax jurisdiction, for example, the way how much they pay the taxes, so and so forth. So say, for example, um, in the U.S., on average, they're probably getting about 3 to 4%, mm-hmm. because most of these um, companies, when they tend to pay dividends, there is a withholding tax of 30%. So a lot of the companies, instead mm-hmm. of paying very high dividends, they tend to do a share buyback. So what you want to be looking out for in, for example, the U.S. market, is to be looking for slightly higher yield. So even if there's a 30% tax, you are still getting a very comfortable dividend income. So that's one way to look at it. For other countries, let's say in Asia, uh, let's say China and Hong Kong, you can actually look at uh, dividend yield anywhere between 8 to 9%. I mean, given how um, the current conditions are, there are a lot of opportunities where there are dividend stocks trading at about 8-9%. Mm. And on average, if you add up um, across the globe, you know, different markets, Japan, Australia, Malaysia, you can roughly get about 6 
7% in terms of its dividend yield here. That's going to make many investors happy, 6 to 7%. Uh, you mentioned a couple of regions. I noticed that Japan doesn't make it into any of your case studies. You have Singapore, Hong Kong, Malaysia, US in your uh, case studies. Talk to us about the sort of regions in your mind that are key in today's market to building that global dividend portfolio. Yeah, so I have shared um, this uh, model portfolio where you can actually start building a global dividend portfolio and you can just look across Singapore, Hong Kong, Malaysia and the US. Mm. So these are some of the key markets which you can start start with. And the reason why I started off with these markets is because they are actually more familiar. Uh, Number one, they have a more developed market or a a more developed stock exchange, meaning that they have already an established stock exchange, number one. Number two, they already have um, hundreds or even thousands of stocks in the exchange itself. So trading into these stocks is actually convenient. And the third, the third thing is access to the, 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 the stock market at a very reasonable commission. So nowadays, you have a lot of brokerage which are able to let you access um, low-cost access to some of these markets. So I start off with these markets uh, simply because it's easier and easier to analyze as well. So say, for example, you're looking at Singapore, uh, Hong Kong. Hong Kong, you can be looking at your banks, your telecommunication companies, um, your oil and gas uh, companies as well. So these are typically companies or businesses where they are large in size, so they are considered the blue chips of the market itself. And that means that they are able to regularly pay out those dividends or those income. So Hong Kong is one of them. And Hong Kong, if you see, the market is a lot like Singapore, where you don't just look at um, properties. There's also financials. There's also technology. And on top of that, because it sits on the hinterland of China, mm-hmm. you have a lot of consumer companies as well. So um, that, that actually allows you to open up, not just investing in financial companies or properties, but you can always diversify across to the other sectors too. So that's for the Hong Kong market. For US, of course, it's already a very vibrant market where you have a lot of sectors. You have thousands and thousands of stocks as well. So there are a lot of dividend stocks which you can be looking at, even though they have a 30% um, we're holding tax on the dividends, but that doesn't mean that we should be shying away from the U.S. market because number one, um, they have been able. There are companies which are able to pay stocks where they have a slightly higher dividend yield. So even though there is a thirty percent withholding tax, you are still getting a reasonable rate of return on your yield itself. So when you read headlines like uh, Country Garden over in China dropped seventeen percent to a new record low, do you, does that um, affect your allocations in any way? That's a very good point, and that's something which I want to draw out as well. So the recent news on Country Garden missing out its bond coupon payments was largely because of the amount of leverage it has. So one of the key factors when it comes to building a global dividend portfolio is looking at what I call a balance sheet test. So for investors out there who want to build this dividend portfolio, the first thing which I want to take note of is the amount of leverage on the portfolio. So when I talk about leverage, I'm not talking about buying the portfolio based on margins or borrowing money to fund your portfolio. Mm. Instead, when I'm looking at the portfolio itself, I'm looking at a basket of different businesses. And the underlying businesses, when we own some of these businesses, what happens is that we not just inherit the cash, the intellectual property, the plant, the equipment, so and so forth, but we also own the borrowings or the debt of this company. So when we buy into businesses where they have a huge leverage, it also means that the portfolio which we own are also highly leveraged. So when it comes to looking at certain sectors, for example, Country Garden, it has a pretty high leverage to begin with. Mm. That's why that actually calls on some risk. Now, how do we actually look at um, some of these 
uh, what I call the leverage or the balance sheet test is basically taking the amount of borrowings, trying to understand, taking the total borrowings in the balance sheet itself, and we divide it by the book value or the net worth of the company. So this is what I call the total debt to total equity ratio. Mm-hmm. And as long as the total debt to total equity ratio is less than 100%, it's reasonable enough to put it to actually take the checkbox and put it inside your portfolio. Of course, this comes on top of looking at the business model, the competitive advantage of the business itself. But one of the key things which we want to take note of is the amount of leverage it has. So another example, you know, mm. not just Country Garden, if you mm. see a couple of years back, you also have China Evergrande, which also missed uh, coupon ba- um, payments and it also went into a default. And China Evergrande has a total debt to total equity of more than 100%. So before it filed for a default, it already was a highly leveraged, com- uh, you know, highly leveraged company. So as investors, if we want to invest, not just in Singapore, but across the world, the first thing we should want to take note is to make sure that the business is not highly leveraged. Because when that happens, the company might struggle and they might not be able to pay out that regular dividend income for investors. What do you mean when you say that um, when it comes to debt ratios, the debt to total equity ratios, you should also be looking at uh, the number less than 25% in any sector? What, is, what do you mean by that? Mm. Um, that's, the second, that's the second rule which I want to share with you. So there are basically just three rules. The mm. first rule which I shared was the 30 seconds balance sheet test, which talks about the leverage. The second rule here, Michelle, is talking about not focusing uh, more than 25% of your money or your portfolio in any sector. Ah, okay, so okay. This means, and, and, and the reason why is because stocks typically in one sector may share the same characteristics or they are often very sensitive to one particular factor. So say, for example, um, years back when I was still a very young uh, research analyst, so I followed one of the relationship manager or the bankers to go for a client meeting or a lunch client meeting. And I thought it was just a regular client review. But when I stepped into the restaurant for the, uh, the client meeting, the client was really angry. So I thought, what happened? Mm. And when I took over his um, file where it contains the portfolio holdings of his investments, I flipped through the pages and I saw bond A, $0, bond B, $0, bond C, $0, so on and so forth. Mm. I realized then, then, the bonds or the investments he invested was all in one sector alone, and that was the oil and gas sector. Because mm. a couple of years back, when the oil... When, when oil prices crashed from $100 to $30, it wiped out a lot of oil and gas companies. So if you have your portfolio only in just one particular sector, say, for example, the oil and gas sector or the property sector or the financial sector, if there is a crisis or a sector crisis, it could throw the entire portfolio out of whack or it could devastate the entire portfolio. So while some sectors might be struggling at certain periods, others might be also doing very well. So that's why it's important not to put all our money into just one particular sector. Instead, what we want to do is to put it across different baskets. And this basket at least has to be the right basket here. Love that. He is Willie King, the man behind the blog Dividend Titan. You say we should target large cap companies with safe dividends. How do we identify these? So that's the last rule when we want to build a global 
dividend portfolio. So a global dividend portfolio only works if you can get a regular dividend payout. Right. And that means we don't want the dividends to get cut because um, dividends get cut, you don't get any yield and that would defeat the entire purpose. So what we want to do, the dividends, what we want to do is to look for companies where they have a consistent free cash flow generation. We don't want them to have too much debt because when they have too much debt and they start struggling to pay off the debt or the interest, that would actually force them to cut on the dividends. And what's more important is to make sure that they are able to sustainably pay out this dividend. So what do I mean by this? Uh, if you see Singapore REITs, they tend to pay more than 90%, um, at least more than 90% of their profits as dividends. So what we want to be looking at are large companies which typically have a slightly lower payout ratio here. That means Say, for example, they pay out, they earn about $100 in profits. We want them to pay out less than that in terms of the dividends. So in this way, it's more consistent, it's more sustainable. And the thing about um, doing a global dividend portfolio is this, because if we look at, say, one market, for example, the REIT market, to get a 6% or 5% dividend yield on Singapore REITs, for example, mm -hmm. it means that the Singapore REIT pays out at least 90% of their profits as dividends. But if you see companies like, say, for example, China Mobile, Right now, um, unlike Singapore REITs, China Mobile pays out about 60 to 70% of its profits as dividends, but is able to achieve at least 7 to 8% of its dividend yield. So this means that you are looking at large companies, large overseas companies, which are more efficient in paying out their dividends achieving a much higher dividend yield at a much lower payout ratio. Got it. Um, in terms of safely building a global dividend portfolio, I notice, uh, you know, you include the word safe there, right? So what are some of the important guardrails that you'd like to suggest that our listeners, you know, stay away from when they think about their global dividend portfolios? What, what are you referring to when you talk about safe building of a portfolio? So this word safe is really driven by the three rules which I've mentioned. Number one, you don't want to have too much leverage on that one particular company. So when I mean too much leverage, it means that the total debt to equity ratio must not be more than 100%. So that is the first, first rule of thumb which I want to take note because anything which is more than 100% means that the company runs the risk of getting its dividends cut in the future if it's not able to pay the interest payment or they might have some trouble refinancing that debt. So that's the first rule. Mm -hmm. The second thing is not having more more than 25% of their portfolio in one sector. So that means not putting um, all your money into just one particular sector. Because when that happens, if let's say um, oil prices crash or if interest rates continue to go higher, it could devastate, say, an all-rich portfolio or an all-banks or all-financials portfolio. So that's the second thing which I want to look out for. And the third thing is, of course, um, looking for large-cap companies. So when I talk about large-cap companies, the reason why I say that is because large-cap companies tend to already have a long-term track record or well-reputed to have very good recurring revenues, uh, recurring profits. So they are, able, they, are, they are either steady or they are able to grow these profits. And they are able to take these profits to pay out some form of dividends. And because they have been able to achieve um, steady profit year after year, hmm. they don't have to fork out more than what they earn as dividends. Because when they do that, um, which a lot of smaller companies typically tend to do in order to support the share price, they don't have to do that because when they actually have to pay out more dividends than the profits which they make, 
that means at some point it's unsustainable. The dividends might get cut as well. So uh, looking at large cap companies uh, which save dividends means that they're able to consistently or sustainably pay out these dividends. Somebody just mentioned to me that uh, he was in hospital and his cardiologist mentioned in 2007, uh, literally he was seeing a lot of people coming in with heart attacks because, you know, they'd suffered when the stock market suffered. So basically you're saving lives today, Willie. Really uh-huh. Thank you so much, Michelle. <laughs> Before we let you go, any final words of advice for those of us who want to build our dividend portfolio globally today? Yeah, I mean, I don't the day, Michelle, when it comes to investing, investing should be boring and life should be exciting there. So we want to actually get our heart pumped in our daily life, whether it's traveling or whether enjoying a good book and not getting our heart attack from <laughs> the stock market itself. I mean, investing should be as boring as possible. And one of the best ways to do it really is to build a diversified portfolio through having a global portfolio exposed to different countries and different sectors. Really good stuff today, Willie. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much, Michelle. Always enjoy it. Willie King is founder of Dividend Titan, the blog. You can check it out. More great case studies there for you to enjoy. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.